Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me today, as always, is David Meyer. David, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Really excited to get into this a day of sports that we have here. We're going to have our MLB predictions with the season just right around the corner. We're going to look at some NFL topics. And as well, we're going to address some NBA. LeBron James and the Lakers. LeBron now hurt. No Anthony Davis. They could be looking to struggle here. But first, we're going to start with our Women History Month athlete. And this week is track and field athlete Jackie joyner Curse. She was born on March 3rd, 1962 in East St. Louis, Illinois. She attended the University of California, Los Angeles. And while she was at UCLA, she was a two-sport athlete. She actually participated in basketball as well as track and field. She was a starter on the basketball team each of the years that she participated, but did miss her junior season because she prepared for the Olympics. She went on to win the Broderick Award while there as well, which is given to the best female collegiate track and field competitor. And when she left UCLA, she was widely regarded as one of the greatest athletes to ever tend that university. And she also went on to be a multiple-time Olympic participant, actually medaling six times, and three of those medals being gold medals from 1988 and 1992. She also received gold medals in the heptathlon and long jump in the World Championships, the Goodwill Games, and the Pan American Games. And that's a look at this week's Athlete of the Month. But we will also have a new athlete for you guys next week, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. And now we're going to hop right into things here. We're going to head to MLB. Haven't talked about the MLB in a couple weeks here because free agency has been so busy. So with the season right around a quarter, we're going to head into some predictions here, and we're going to start in the NL. We're going to go through each division here and rank how we think the season will end up for these teams. We're going to start out with the NL Central. Who do you have coming out on top there? This one's tough because the Brewers made a big splash and so did the Cardinals. Uh, the Cubs kind of stagnated. They, they made some trades, but I think they got a little worse. The Reds and Pirates, well, the Pirates are just bad. The Pirates are bad overall. Um, so for me, it's either the Brewers or the Cardinals, and I'm going to lean... Brewers, the addition of Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be just phenomenal. Adds a lot of defense in center field and some good pop. Uh, Christian Yelich uh, fully transitioned to left field. He's going to be back and more productive. Last season was a fluke. Uh, Brandon Woodruff with the overpowering fastball. I think they're going to have a decent team. But the NL Central is just so weak. I I have them like barely breaking 500 and still winning the NL Central. Yeah, for me, this was a little bit of a tougher one, like you said. Um, I think they're all kind of in the same ballpark kind of when you look at them. But for me, I went with the Cardinals winning the division because I do feel like they did the most to try to go all in for this division. When they traded for Arenado, I was like, okay, what would you have to give up? Really didn't give up much at all. A really good deal on their part. And the Rockies paid some of the contract for him. So big move for them getting him in there. And then they already have Goldschmidt, who's just a consistent veteran. He's a really nice guy to have. And when you have two players of that caliber in your lineup, you're going to do pretty well. And just overall, 
I think they've made the most moves to try to step up and take this division. So that's why I have the Cardinals at one. And now sitting at two in the NL Central, who do you have sitting there? I'm going to say the Cardinals. Uh, they're getting Jack Flaherty uh, and some of their relievers who didn't play all that much in the shortened season back. They re-signed Adam Wainwright. They re-signed Yadier Molina, who his hitting has not been... Like for a catcher, his hitting has declined a little more, but he's still a great pitch framer and very solid defensively. And, of course, adding Nolan Arenado, at the very worst, he's going to be just a fantastic defender, platinum glove. At the best, he's going to be like pseudo-DJ LeMahieu after leaving the Rockies. And Paul Goldschmidt is just a solid, solid player. The definition of consistency. But there's still some gaps, so I have them second a little under 500. Yeah, for me, um, a number two, I have the Cubs at two, and I have them there because I truly believe this is a make-or-break year for this team. When you look at guys like Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, they have to really show up this season because if they don't, Rizzo in a contract year, when you're looking at he might he's going to need an extension soon. You got Chris Bryant as well, a guy who's struggled, and Baez has played well. Um, both, all three of those guys, they need to have a breakout year to keep this team together. Because if you go through this year and get knocked out first round, just miss the playoffs, can you really keep this team together for that much longer? I don't know. So that's my biggest question mark with them. I think that can help them play better. That's a good driving force to try to want to stay with the Cubs. Well, it's a make or break year. And then one guy that's played really well through spring training so far has been Jock Peterson. He's had a great spring training, and I know a lot of Cubs fans, when they lost Kyle Schwarber, they, they weren't huge fans of it because he is kind of a fan favorite. A lot of people did like him, but Jock has come in and played really well, and the good thing about Jock is he's going to bring this veteran leadership to this team. I know this is a team that's won the World Series together, but at the same time, he's going to bring just consistent winning mentality. He comes from the Dodgers where all they do is win with the Dodgers. So that's the mentality he's going to be bringing here. Then also, one guy I really think is going to have a good year is Kyle Hendricks. And when I look at him, it's finally his time to shine. And I know he's kind of been the number one for the Cubs the last couple of years, but it was always you that got all the attention. He was the Cy Young candidate. Well, now this is his chance to really show up and be the shining arm in that rotation. So for me, I had the Cubs there because there's a lot to play for this season and they really have to show up. And now we're going to third in the NL Central. Who do you have sitting there? This is where I have the Cubs. They they have a lot of upside. They could be contenders, but I'm just not fully sold. I've seen like the lows of last season and they got rid of you, Darvish, who was your best pitcher. And you add Zach Davies, who's okay. He's probably a like a four or five on an ideal rotation, and he's probably your second starter. So the rotation is a little iffy. You have guys like Jake Arrieta, Alec Mills, who are going to eat innings, but how well are they going to play? And then the fifth spot is a little shaky. Uh... The bullpen also scares me a little. Uh, 
they got better at the back end of the season, of the shortened season, but I don't know how solid they're going to be coming up. And, I mean, obviously you have uh, MVP vote-getter Ryan Tapera, of course, fantastic. <laughs> but there's some questions there, and it really it is a make-or-break year for the Cubs. So many big contracts, and if... If they come up to the trade deadline not playing well, I could see the Cubs kind of going full rebuild. Yeah, and I think that's exactly where the point where they're at. You have to do something, whether it be pay these guys or make that transition into your next uh, next step as a team. And for me, at three, I have the Brewers. And these top three, I, I think they're all pretty close within each other. But for me, I had the Brewers. One good thing, Christian Yelich is back, and he's going to be healthy. I mean, that's going to be a big key for them. He's their best player, in my opinion. Then also, when you look at their pitcher, they have Williams. He had a really good year last year. I'm excited to see what he can do in this second season. And also, you talked about Jackie Bradley Jr. I think that's just a really nice addition. Defensively, he's going to be such a key for them. So that's why I have the Brewers there at three. I think they have a lot of... They have a lot of upside. I think they're just a team that has to put it all together now, stay healthy. I think that's going to be key for them. And now this fourth spot, who do you have sitting there? Uh, that's where I have the Reds. They kind of contended last year. They weren't fantastic. They snuck into the playoffs and got bounced first round like every other NL Central team. I think they're not going to play as well with the departure of Trevor Bauer. They're still going to have a decent rotation, and Joey Votto is going to get on base a lot, but I I don't think they have the whole roster around the star players to make the playoffs, so I don't think they're going to play all that well. It's really a question here of, are they going to commit to the rebuild or commit to winning now? They got to do one or the other because the worst place in sports is right in the middle yeah you're exactly right and for me i also have the reds there obviously one guy sunny gray he's got to stay healthy got to get healthy at this point he could be a nice piece for them obviously i think their pitching is kind of what's best for them um they're going to kind of have to carry this team in my opinion if they want to be successful and where i have them they're not going to be all that successful but when I look at those stars in the lineup that you talked about, the Joey Vados, they are good players, but are they stars anymore? They're getting a little bit older. That's my biggest question mark, is can they really help contribute as much as they once did? I'm just not too sure about it. So that's why I have the Reds here in fourth after making the playoffs last year. And now the last spot in the NL Central, we both have the same team there. Why are the Pirates last for you? They're bad. They're very bad. <laughs> um, I, hopefully the rebuild goes well. I have them losing like a hundred games. Uh, Brian Hayes might be good this year if if he plays in the big leagues. Uh, not not a whole lot to like there. Yeah, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. Bad. I mean, that's just the best way to describe it. And I mean, if I am the Pirates and you want to do this rebuild, I mean, don't spend much money. You get. You get a bad team. That's kind of how it works. Yeah, they're they're not spending money. They're spending less on their entire overall 
uh, major league roster than what Trevor Bauer's contract is worth. Yeah, and that's really crazy to think about. It's If you don't spend money, I mean, that that's the result you're going to get. So if you're going to go rebuild, let's go spend some money next offseason and we'll redo it next year and figure out if you're a little bit better. So now the next one we have up here is the NL West. And this is a division that got really interesting this offseason. Who do you have atop there? This is pretty much the exact opposite of the NL Central. I think it's going to be just an absolute bloodbath from this start. But I'm leaning Dodgers. They, you know, Mookie, they have like... Ah, it just blows my mind how good this team is. They have like eight pitchers who could easily be in the starting rotation. And you're going to have those guys coming out of the bullpen. Their pitching is going to be absolutely insane, starting and bullpen. You have guys in the lineup that probably like three or four guys who could possibly contend for an MVP and just defensively it's phenomenal the reason I give them the edge over the Padres is because they have the team chemistry and they've been together before so that is what I give the edge to yeah for me it was it's so close um I went Padres though because I I mean I bought into it last season I'm gonna buy into it again the hype with the Padres because they are so much fun to watch they really are. They have so much talent all around. The best part about this team, they're just so young. Like, they're here to stay. This is not just going to be a couple years team. They're here to stay. And one thing that I loved is they went all in on that pitching staff this offseason. That, that is a huge move for them. I think it's going to help take them to the next level. And for them, kind of the next level is you have to dethrone the Dodgers. Like, if you want to be the best, you're going to have to take out the best. And they're in your division. So it gets a little bit tougher there. But I think the addition of adding you, I think that's going to be a good one for him. Had a good year last year. Was finally starting to put the stuff together. I think he can have a big year here for the Padres. And if he does, I think that helps edge them past the Dodgers for me. And now, who do you have the two spot? Uh, The two spot is the Padres. They're going to be really good. It's just how well they mesh together and how quickly everything comes together for them and so they can start really really winning games you darvish is phenomenal so is blake snell their pitching is going to be fantastic and like you said they're very young and something that i it, it's talked about a little but i don't think enough they still have uh it's the rankings i'm looking at it's the sixth best farm system in the league so you have guys who you can call up, like Mackenzie Gore. He's going to be a great pitching. He's a great pitching prospect now. But you, those guys are also trade bait. If you want to add a impact starter at whatever position, possibly first base, Eric Hosmer is a little iffy there. But they're just going to be incredibly fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, that's really just the best way to describe this team, honestly. And for me, at two, I have the Dodgers... I don't really have much to say about them because I don't, I don't think you really have to explain all too much why the Dodgers are that good. I mean, they have star power all over. Their pitching got even better, adding Trevor Bauer. I mean, this team is just stacked. They really are. And it's fun because the Padres and the Dodgers both now are just really stacked teams. They both just have all this crazy amounts of talent. 
So for me, I have the Dodgers at two, but I mean, it's going to be very close. and It's going to be fun to watch. I mean, the trade for Mookie Betts, when the Dodgers got him, it was really hard to say, okay, any team can beat them in a seven-game series. I'm, I'm not ready to say it yet, but I think the Padres can steal the division, have a really good regular season. Now, could, will they dethrone them come playoff time? You're just going to have to wait and see. That's just going to be fun to watch, but I'm not too sure about that. But I do think they take the division. Now, who do you have sitting at the three spot? I'm going, after those two teams, it kind of drops off a little. I'm going with the Diamondbacks. There's there's some things to like here. Uh, Madison Bumgardner has fallen off a little bit. Uh, Zach Galen got hurt hitting, which is why we need the universal DH. But that's another conversation. Um, I There are bright spots in their roster, but there are also holes. They don't have a lot of impact hitting. Cattell Marte is a great defender and can play multiple positions, but that's the biggest name on here, and I don't think he's like a superstar. Um, a little shout-out, though, to the fastest player in baseball, Tim LaCastro. We stand Tim LaCastro on this show. That's, <laughs> that's how I'm going to end that. Yeah, for me, a three, I have the Rockies. It's really tough because losing Arenado is going to hurt. I don't think you can really state enough how much that will hurt them. But they still have Story and Blackman. So they do have some nice pieces still around there. I I just think the rest of the division, when I look at these bottom three teams, it it's just kind of like, okay, I can put them in relatively almost any order because they're all three going to struggle a bit. So for me, I start with the Rockies just because out of all these teams remaining – I feel like they have the most power to be win a few games and be a little bit more successful than these other two teams because I just don't see guys of Blackman the Story's caliber on the Giants or the Diamondbacks. So that's why I went with them there. And now going to that fourth spot, who do you have there? I have the Giants. I don't think they're going to be fantastic, but you're going to see some. I think they can be a little bit streaky. They're not going to be fantastic, but they can... Uh, string together some games and lift their record up, but they're not going to be really playoff contenders all that much. Uh, Joey Bart looks interesting, so that's a bright spot. Yeah, for me, I have the Giants at fourth as well. They just need more still, and it's they're now finally, as an organization, starting to move off of their World Series players. Like, we've moved away from Pablo Sandoval and Brandon Belt and Hunter Pence after bringing them back two or three times. It should have been after the first time, you're done with those players. And I know Pablo had a, a pretty decent year in 2019. It was He had a pretty good uh, run there. But they just need more. They have Dubon, who he plays well at times. He's a nice utility guy. You can put him around all over the place. But the one player for me is Mike Yastrzemski. He finally has a chance. He was in the uh, odds to win the NL MVP last year. He was in the top five for most of the year. I think he really has a chance to just take a step forward. And for the betterment of his career, I hope he does take that step forward and it leads to him getting traded for. Get him somewhere else because I'm just not sure the Giants are going to be competing here really in the near future. And because when I look at this Giants team, it's happened before the pandemic. It happened last year as well, post-pandemic, or in the middle of the pandemic, excuse me. It's they 
start out slow, rattle off some wins towards the middle to end of the year, and then don't finish strong enough to make the playoffs, and they're just kind of right there. There's They just sit there. So that's exactly what the Giants are. That's why I had them coming in at four. So now we go to the final spot in the NL West. Who do you have sitting there? I have the Rockies. I think they could be better than the last team in the West, but like talent-wise, the roster is better than fifth in the West, but ownership and management is going to bring this team down. Morale is probably at an all-time low after trading Nolan Arenado and just really, really bungling that entire situation. And I see just guys are going to get traded. I see story going relatively quickly. John Gray, Herman Marquez could probably be gone. It, it's Management there is just a mess, and it's going to drag this team down. Yeah, for me in my last spot, I have the Diamondbacks there. Um, being a Giants fan, I really do like Madison Bumgarner. I mean, he's fantastic. He has the has the best post uh, best uh, World Series pitching performance ever, in my opinion. Um, I think he's a fantastic pitcher, but just not anymore. He's not the same guy that he was. He's not the guy that the Diamondbacks paid to bring in. He hasn't lived up to that, and it's a bit of a struggle, but. I still like him as a player a lot, and for me, I just don't know if the Diamondbacks are going to be a team really really contending anytime soon, like be like true contenders for this division, to even come in the top two. And I, I think this that goes for all three of these teams at the bottom here. They're in a division right now with two, two of the top three teams in the league. I don't think you can really argue any different than that. It's very tough in this division, and I just think those bottom three teams don't really stand much of a chance so now we're going to move into the NL East here it's our last division within the National League who do you have sitting atop the NL East when this season's over the NL East is pretty similar to the NL West and I'm going to go with the Braves for the same reason I went with the Dodgers they're just they've they're already established they've been together and they know how to win. So I'm giving it to the Braves, and they have so much talent on that roster offensively. The biggest question is, can they pitch? Can their guys stay healthy, and can they play well? There's also some questions. Uh, prospect, uh, center field prospect, Christian Pache, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, they could bring him up and have him play center, but... Just so much talent on that roster, and it, I think it's going to all come together. It's, it's going to be an interesting team to watch, and they're very fun to watch. Yeah, for me, I also have the Braves atop the NL East. Obviously, we look at Kuna Jr. I mean, he, he's one of the better players in the league, and he's just fun. He's just one of the better athletes in all of sports, in my opinion. And then when I look at this team, I'm like, what do they need to work on? They need to finally, they got playoff experience last year, but they finally have to get over that hump and finally start to show, okay, we are up here with these top teams in the NL. Because when, when I look at the NL right now, you get the Dodgers, Padres up there. Then there's a gap, and then there's everybody else. The Braves need to prove this season that, hey, we're in that top three. I mean, obviously, I, I do believe they are three, but they need to prove that there's not a gap here. It's us three and then the gap. And I think they have a good opportunity to do that this year. 
this NL East, when I was putting together my predictions here, I was like, there's some good teams here. This is a pretty nice division from top to bottom. So I think if you can come out on top of that division, it should help your confidence a lot moving into some postseason play. And now at the second spot, who do you have sitting there? I have the Mets, and it's close. It's definitely very close. You have the best pitcher in the game, Jacob deGrom, coming in every fifth game, and he's going to be fantastic. You bring back Noah Syndergaard. He's healthy. Marcus Stroman is uh, in. It's going to be a really... I think I'm missing someone, but it's going to be a really good rotation. And they're solid hitting-wise. It's probably the biggest player that jumps out to me is Pete Alonzo, and he can just mash at the plate. They, they have so much talent. It's just, how is it all going to come together? Because they've, they've kind of shaken things up a bit with uh, new ownership and new management. So we'll see how that meshes together. I think it'll take a little bit to get going, but then they're going to they're gonna have a good season. Yeah, for me, I also have the Mets there. And when I look at this Mets team, they, in my opinion, are the perfect New York team. Because they went out, made the big-time trade to get Francisco Lindor, and then also you have the pitching staff there. You went over the guys they have there, Syndergaard, DeGrom. They have a lot of big names there, and they're trying to match their New York counterpart in the Yankees. They're trying to be like, okay, they have a lot of talent. Well, so do we. We're going to put together a team that you're going to enjoy. Talked about Pete Alonso, Lindor, both great players. And that pitching staff, you talked about DeGrom every fifth day. That pitching staff in general is going to be so hard to beat. They have a pretty deep rotation there. I really like the Mets. I think they can really make some noise this year. I know they've kind of hung around a little bit. I mean, at times you think, okay, maybe they're ready to take this next step. Well, now they have the talent to really do that and move forward in the NL. So I have them at that two spot as well. Who do you have at three in the NL East? For me, number three is the Nationals. They're an interesting team. They have some good talent, and they brought in good talent. Uh, John Lester is going to be interesting to see as a pitcher. You have uh, Strasburg and Scherzer are getting up there. Scherzer more so. So I think that those could be guys to watch, injury-wise at least, especially Strasburg. But their pitching is going to be relatively good. But just, I love Juan Soto so much. He is so ridiculously talented. It blows my mind. I think he's at, like, what is he, 22? He's the best pure hitter in the game right now. And he is only going to get better. He hits for power. He hits for average. And he draws walks like no one else. He is just fantastic. And I love the Nationals because I love Juan Soto. So I think they could sneak into the playoffs, but I'm not. It's we'll see is the answer. Yeah, for me at the three spot, I have the Phillies in that spot. And I have them there the same reason I had for the Cubs. It's kind of make or break for the Phillies at this point. 
they spent a lot of money. They brought back Real Muto. Now, obviously, they paid the huge contract to Harper. Then Didi Gregorius as well. They brought him back this offseason. So when I look at this team, it's like, okay, you have some, you have some nice players there. It's time to start producing. They've almost, I guess, hype-wise let down the last couple of years. They've let down what they should have been. I think it's finally, they need to make or break this year. They need to get better and prove, okay, we are a dominant team within the NL. Improve this organization right, that we made the right choice to go out and spend a lot of money to put this team together. Because if they don't, I mean, was it really worth it all at the end? So I think that's the biggest question with the Phillies. I think that can really help drive them this season. And now at the fourth spot in the NL East, who do you have there? I have the Phillies, and this could definitely change. Uh, JT Real Muto is the best catcher in the league, and he has really good longevity. He's 30, but he only started playing catcher when he got to the big leagues, so there is so much more life left in his knees. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch because Bryce Harper is, I think he came into the league really hot, and a lot of people just want him to be, like, this transcendent player. And he's living up to that, but people don't recognize that for some reason. This team has a lot of depth. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, Scott Kingry, uh, Roman Quinn. It's going to be interesting to see how that... I think that's teams with a lot of depth are going to perform better this season than they did last season because you're adding 102 games this season, so it's going to be more of a grind. I I think they can contend pretty well, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, for me at that fourth spot, I have the Marlins. They snuck in last year into the postseason, and obviously they were able to win their wild card. But at the same time, when I look at this Marlins team, I, I have to know, was it a fluke? that you got in because of the shortened season? Or is this team really good enough to power through? For me, I think it was a bit of a fluke. That's why I have them all the way down at four within their division. But, I mean, they do have one thing going for them. They play very, very tough for their uh, manager, Mattingly. They really do. They go out there and perform for him. So if he can rally the guys, could they sneak back in? Sure. I, I just don't see it happening this year. I think that was kind of... More of a fluke. And the final spot here before we take our first break is the fifth spot in the NL East. Who do you have sitting there? I have the Marlins. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch, especially going forward. They have some, they have the fourth best farm system and a very young team that's going to be interesting. Sixto Sanchez is incredibly fun. JJ Blade. Max Meyer and Jazz Chisholm. You have a good core. And I think you need one or two more years, maybe some trades for big names, and you can get there. But this year is not the year that you're going to compete. And that's okay. Because this is going to be such a fun franchise moving forward. And the hiring of Kim Yang... Aang, I'm sorry, is going to be, I think, a masterstroke, and she's going to lead them to 
the playoffs and possibly a World Series. It's just not going to be this year. Yeah, and for me, I have in my last spot is the Nationals. I have them there because the injuries do concern me. They were injured a lot last season. And like you said, that pitching staff, a little bit older, Lester, Scherzer, Strasburg. I, I'm just worried about this team. When they got to the World Series, it seemed like a lot of things went right for them when they were able to win. But at the same time, last year, things didn't go well for them. So what team are we going to get? Are things going to go well for them? They're going to be able to stay healthy? Or are we going to see the injury bug with this team? And, I mean, you talked about Juan Soto. I mean, he's just a fun player. He really is. So I I like the Nationals, but they have to stay healthy, and that's what worries me. So that's why I have them last in the NL East. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we'll go through our AL predictions. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into a Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2, the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to continue with our MLB predictions here. Season just a week away here. Now we're going to start with the AL Central. David, who do you have sitting atop the AL Central? The AL Central is interesting. It's similar to the NL Central, but there are some better teams there. Uh, To start, I'm going with the White Sox. They have a solid rotation. Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel. They added Lance Lynn, and we might see Michael Kopech uh, coming up. They're going to be solid offensively. There was a possible injury to Aloy Jimenez, but they're still very good offensively. And we're going to get Andrew Vaughn, uh, the first base prospect. He's going to start the year on the active roster. So we could see a lot of good things from the White Sox. And I'm excited. They have a good young team, and I think they could be very good for a decent while. Yeah, and when I look at this team, last year they were young, developing, got into the postseason, made some noise, but then they were out just like that. I want to see this team take the next step where these young players that we're talking about, like the Eloys, the Roberts, Tim Anderson, I want to see them take that next step into stardom. I want to see these guys become stars within the league. They all have the potential to do it. Now it's just about doing it. So that's my big thing for the White Sox. Take that step. That That's who I have at first, by the way, as well. But that one thing you did bring up was the Eloy injury, and that is key for me. I have to know how serious of an injury is that, how long will be out. I believe it was a shoulder injury, if I am correct on that. So that's something you have to monitor going through this season here because he is a big-time player, and to lose him just a week before the season starts, it is a little rough. And now we're going to move into our second team in the AL Central. Who do you have sitting there? I'm going with the Twins. They're going to be... They were decent last season. Last season was just so weird. Uh, But I think they're going to be good this year, but there are definitely question marks. Can Nelson Cruz continue to be an absolute monster despite being 39? Um, just will Kenta Maeda stay his phenomenal self? There are there are questions, but I think they can be a good team. They just need to not get injured and 
take it one game at a time, and they'll. I think they could snag a wild card spot. Yeah, for me, I also have the Twins in that second spot there. And the cool thing about the Twins is, and it's good for them, is they're a very consistent team. They're all you always know what you're gonna get from. They're gonna be a good team. There's no huge names on this roster. There's no uh, Bellingers, Yelichs. There's nobody like that on this team. But they all play pretty well together. They have very good chemistry. And the biggest thing for me with the Twins is I want to see them get out of that playoff drought. I want to see it. I want to see them be able to get into the postseason, be successful, and try to make a run at this thing because they are kind of. I mean, obviously, consistently good team, but they are kind of an underdog story a little bit because they are in that playoff drought. So it's a team that you like to root for. So I have the Twins at second there, and I expect them to make some noise. I just want to see it in the postseason this time. That's really what I want to see. Now, who's your third team in the AL Central? Uh, it's Cleveland. They Their ownership is not great, uh, and I think they're going downhill rather than up. Uh, they traded Trevor Bauer. Not Trevor Bauer. They did do that at one point. Uh, they traded Mike Clevenger. Uh, they traded uh, Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor. They're just shedding payroll. And I think ownership is going to sell the team at some point soon. But they still can develop so much pitching talent that that's going to carry them through the season but I don't think it's enough for a wild card berth or uh winning the AL Central just offensively there isn't a whole lot to write home about yeah I also have the Indians there in that third spot losing Lindor is gonna hurt a lot he was their best player by far and when you just kind of trade away a player like that, one, your fan base is going to question it a little bit because he was a fan favorite. He's a guy that brought people into the stands. And another guy, Carrasco, that you talked about, that's also not in an, I mean, it's not as bad as Lindor, but it's not a guy that you want to see leave. He was kind of a fan favorite as well. Those two guys both were, and they were nice to watch when you were trying to watch Indians games. And I, I'm just not a huge fan of this whole low payroll team um spend that money i mean you got teams like the dodgers and padres and the yankees who are just spending all this money and they're wildly successful like they are the top of the league so if you should probably follow that same pattern if you want your team to be really good but i guess it's their choice at the end of the day so for three i have the indians as well now we're looking at that fourth spot in the al central who do you have there uh i the this is where the AL Central really starts to fall off for me. The Royals, they have some interesting names, but there isn't a whole lot here. I think they're more committed to like starting a rebuild rather than going out and trying to win a lot of games. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. is a young guy to watch. Uh... Jorge Soler is always very fun. I think they could be actually sneakily a little better than people think. They added Andrew Benintendi. Whit Merrifield is just phenomenal at getting on base and hitting. So they could be interesting, but I don't think they're going to light the world on fire. 
Yeah, for me, I'm not as positive with the Royals. I think they're going to be probably royally bad. Um, I don't have much hope for them. I do like the Benintendi addition. Um, I just it's not enough. I mean, when you look at this team, there, there's holes, and I just I think they need to fill a lot more. Um, they're not going to be competing for the playoffs. They're kind of I mean they'll be competing to be better than the Tigers within the division. So there's at least something going into the year for them. Um, I just don't have much hope for the Royals. But now that leaves the Tigers as your fifth team in the AL Central, and this is the first time that we've got we've got the same ones for every single pick. So why are the Tigers in last for you? They're just terrible. They're just bad. It's they're they're like the Pirates. It's just the team committed to the rebuild. They have really interesting pot prospects, and it'll be fun to see. Do those prospects get MLB time and how they do? Casey Mize, Spencer Torkelson, uh, Matt Manning. There's the pitching prospect-wise, they have a lot of good names, and they're going to be exciting in the future, but not at the moment, especially with Cabrera's monster contract still on the books. Yeah, for me, I also have the Tigers in that spot. And there's just really not much to say about them. They're just going to be bad, and that's how it is. But he does have a monster contract, but I will say I do love Miguel Cabrera. I mean, obviously not the same guy that he was, but I do love Miguel Cabrera. I remember all the way back playing MLB The Show 2011 against my dad doing the home run derbies, and I would always take Miguel Cabrera every single time. So I do love me some Miggy, but he's not enough to help this team out. They need a lot more than that. And that concludes the AL Central. Now we're going to move into our next division here, and that's the AL West. Who do you have coming out atop the AL West? Uh, the AL West is interesting. There are, I think, three teams that could solidly compete, and then kind of a dark horse. But I'm going the Angels, partially because I want to will it into existence. That's the best way to do it. Major League Baseball needs to get Mike Trout in the playoffs. Angels, you just have to. There's there's no other way. That's how baseball wins. They added a little bit of pitching. Not a lot, but some. Uh, Shohei Otani is back and pitching, as well as hitting very well. He's just such a fun player to watch. You have Mike Trout. They're not going to have Joe Adele to start the season, but they do bring in Dexter Fowler, who is just kind of has a special place in my heart. Uh, Anthony Rendon is a beast at the plate, but they're, they're still just... There are questions of how well is this team going to play moving forward, and the pitching is just suspect. Especially, it's hard because you have such a big contract with Albert Pujols, who's just not good. Fun fact, he leads all active players and all players ever in grounding into double plays. Not necessarily the stat you want to lead in, but hey, at least you lead in something. Um, for me, I have the A's coming out of top, the West. And when you got Matt Olson and Chapman on the corners, things are going pretty well for you. Uh, you got a nice little infield there. And one guy I'm 
extremely excited to watch is Lazardo. Pitch pitcher very good. 60 Ks with a four ERA last year as a rookie. I think he has a chance to really develop and turn into something special for this A's team. Then also you look at that Bassett, five and two last year with the two ERA. I think they have some nice pieces in that rotation that they can really start to try to put something special together here. Um, I I'm excited. I would be excited for the A's. They're a team that's kind of no one really talks about. Doesn't have the big huge market with them. So seeing them succeed is definitely something that would be fun. Who do you have at two in the AL West? I have uh, also the Athletics. Uh, it's pretty close between the Athletics and the Astros. I think it's my hatred for cheaters that brings down the Astros. Matt Olson is great. They have good depth on that team. Matt Chapman is going to be a gold glove type of guy. They bring in Elvis Andrews and trade away uh, Crush Davis, which I'm not completely sold on the move, but they keep Billy Bean in the front office, and that's a really big deal because I think he's one of the best managers in or uh, front office guys in the game. And even with the low market and the low payroll, I think they could still make some waves. It's just going to be how well do they play the game of Moneyball. And for me, the second spot, I have the Astros. They're coming off a year where it was a lot of struggles for them. I mean, every time I turned on Twitter, is Jose Altuve striking out, uh, missing an infield uh, grounder to them. And it was something that you saw nightly and everyone rooting against them. And with all those struggles they had, they still managed to get one game away from the World Series. So this team, I think, has a lot of firepower to them. One person they have to replace is Springer. George Springer, he's going to be a guy that you have to find a way to get someone in there that can give you that type of value back. But they still have some big names on this team. Carlos Correa, Altuve, Verlander, Brantley, Bregman, Granke. list kind of goes on for them. They have a nice team in place. Do I necessarily want them to be successful? No, because like you said, uh, they did cheat in that World Series. So I'm not the biggest fan of the Astros, but they were a game away from the World Series last year. So I expect them to kind of not have as big of a target on their back this year. And it finally starts to work out better for them. Now, who do you have at third in the AL West? I have the aforementioned Astros. I think they could be relatively good, but I don't think the fan hatred is gone yet. This is going to be the first season since that whole saga that there will be fans at games and they are going to get absolutely torn to pieces by the fans. But their team is still very good. You have Kyle Tucker, Miles Straw in the outfield. That's a very good, like very rangy uh, defensive outfield. Michael Brantley sticking around. He's going to be a solid hitter. There are some age and injury questions on the rotation, but Jordan Alvarez as a DH is just going to tear the cover off the ball. I don't care that he had a small sample size and not a very good spring training. He's going to tear the cover 
off the ball, and it's going to be so fun to watch. For me, at three in the AL West, I have the Angels. Um, Otani is back, which is exciting. Um, he's a player. He's kind of one of those guys that's hard to root against him. Uh, he's just a fun guy to watch play. And now I think he really affects them big time because, obviously, pitching-wise, he's been pretty good and through spring training so far. But also on days where he's off, he can be that DH for you. So I think that's one key is getting Otani back. Then, obviously, you have Mike Trout, best player in the league, and some even argue best player to ever play in the MLB. So when I look at this, I'm like, okay. I mean, you have to be somewhat decent, probably at least third. I mean, they've managed to not be all that great, even with him. But it's a guy that you would assume can help out a lot. And then keeping Rendon, I think that's going to be key for them. So now fourth in the AL West, who do you have sitting there? That's where I have the Mariners. They took a step forward last season. They're not fully realized, but they're heading in the right direction, definitely. They're still one of the best farm systems, and I think we're going to see a lot of those guys come up and play this year. Jared Kelenic is going to be... I think he's going to play in the big leagues this season. Kyle Lewis, it's just they're they're close to the getting over the hump of that rebuild and contending, but they're not quite there. There are questions around the pitching, and I think that's definitely warranted. You have some good names, James Paxton, you see Kichakuchi. I believe I'm pronouncing that wrong, but they're going to be a fun team in a couple years. Yeah, and for me at fourth, I have the Rangers. Um, They're a team I expect struggles, and they are very young, and that's something that comes with struggles, is you just have to kind of learn the game and just become better at it. That's one thing is just experience that's going to help out these younger players. I think they have a decent future. I don't think it's going to be all that great, but I do think they have a pretty decent future based off of what they have there right now. But I still think they're going to come in fourth in the AL West. And now that last spot in the AL West, it leaves you with the Rangers, I believe. Uh, Yes, it does leave me with the Rangers. uh, There isn't a lot to like here. I think they're going to trade Joey Gallo soon. Uh. They they really have not done a good job of handling him. He's reaching the end of his contract. I don't think they're going to resign him. And his trade value is only going down. So, And some of the trades they've done in the offseason, Mike Miner, Lance Lynn, they're trading those guys at the worst times, just when their value is, an, is at an absolute low. And that's just not how you're going to build a good team and win games. So I think they're going to be uh, bottom of the barrel team. Yeah, and it just must be something about the front offices in Texas and the Houston area that's just not all that great. Um, for me, I had the Mariners. Um, very young team again, like you alluded to. Kyle Lewis is very exciting. Um, but I just don't think it's enough to make them all that great. I still think they're going to be um, one of the – one of the lower teams in the MLB, but you see the future there and you see the hope. 
So that's at least a good thing. A lot of these teams, you have some young, nice players, but you don't see the direction where they want to go. You can see it with the Mariners and what they're doing. So it's going to be a few years, like you said. But, I mean, I see where they're wanting to go with this team. And now we're going ahead into our last division here, and that is the AL East. Who do you have sitting atop that? Originally, I was going to go a little dark horse and say the Blue Jays, but with some injuries, I think I'm going for the more consensus pick of the Yankees. The Yankees really made a splash in free agency bringing back uh, DJ LeMayhew, and I, and they revamped their rotation. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with and possibly one of the best teams in the league. I think best team in the AL is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but they're going to be good. It just hinges on health. Are you going to get 140 games out of Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton? Are you going to have Luke Voigt healthy and ready to go? Will you have a lot of those guys on the rotation who they brought in? Corey Kluber, uh, Jamison Talon. Are those guys going to rebound from injury well? Garrett Cole is going to be Garrett Cole no matter what. It's just injuries. Can they stay healthy? If they do, they're winning the division. Yeah, and when I looked at this team going into last season, bringing in Garrett Cole, I was like, okay, I go, this team, they have a lot of firepower. They have one of the more talented bat- batting uh, orders in the league. When you look at Judge and Stanton, then LeMahieu, they had a lot of talent there. And I was just like, okay, they need that pitcher. They bring in Cole. It's like, okay, this team's set. And then, like you said, the injuries hit them. Health is just the biggest thing with this team. If they can stay healthy, I think this roster rivals that of the Dodgers and the Padres at full health. I think and they may not win a series, but I think it definitely could get you to a World Series against a team like the Dodgers and Padres if you are healthy. So that's my biggest thing with them. All the talents there, stay healthy, but you have to find a way this postseason to make a breakthrough. You have to find it. Obviously, they've been hyped up, and it's the New York Yankees. They're going to be hyped up, but you have to find a way to prove that hype. Is this going to be the year? I mean, maybe. We'll kind of wait and see on it, but I do think there's a real possibility that this could be the year they finally stay healthy and take that next step. Next, and our last one we'll do here before we'll take our second break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct, is second in the AL East. Who do you have there? I'm giving this one to the Blue Jays. There are injury concerns. Kirby Yates going out for the year is it, it's unfortunate, but it's going to happen. Uh, you have Kevin Biggio. His x-ray was clear on his finger, so it's going to be uh, when can he, he fully come back from that. But your big free agency signing, George Springer, is hurt. It's, uh, they said, oblique strain, so... Is just the what's left of the off season before uh, opening day. Is that going to be enough rest for him? And they have so much young talent. I think they're a little ahead of schedule uh, on their hitting core with Bobachet, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It's going to be when does that 
uh, crop of prospects in your uh, pitching prospects in your farm system, when are they ready for the major leagues? Uh, just to name one, Simeon Woods Richardson. When's he going to be ready? And when's Nate Pearson going to be ready? I think Pearson, he's coming off injury, so we might uh, get some MLB time. But I'm I'm hyped up about the Blue Jays. Yeah, for me, in second, I, had, I do have the Rays. Um, Arozarena, I think, is obviously still a great player for them. And then when I look at this team, my biggest question, but also the biggest plus of this team, is that pitching. You lost Snell, but you still do have a good rotation in place. Can they find a way to still be as good as last year while still losing Snell is my biggest question mark for them. They do have the number one in the pipeline, Franco. So they have the talent there. It's just about putting it together once again, coming off of last year's disappointment. So I'm excited for this team, but I have them at two, but the pitching does scare me a little bit. I still think they can be good, but how good because you had to get rid of Snell? I think that's my biggest question there. We're going to need to take our second break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we will finish our AL East predictions and then get into Francisco Lindor's contract offer. Stay tuned. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer. And we're now going to third in the AL East here. Who do you have sitting there? I have the Red Sox. I think they're going to bounce back from a bad year last year. Uh, they were just destroyed by injuries. I think J.D. Martinez is going to bounce back uh, pretty well. They're getting some pitching back, but they're only going to be a middle-of-the-road team. Uh, they're just not quite there, and I don't think they're going to be. They, they just, they don't, ha they're right in that middle where you don't want to be. They don't have a really good prospect pool and farm system, but they don't have big stars and a flashy rotation or starting lineup. They have good pieces. Alex Verdugo has been solid. But there isn't really too much to write home about. So I think they'll be okay. I'd project just off the cuff above 500, but not a lot above 500. Yeah, for me, up next, I have the Blue Jays. Um, they're good. I think they need just a few more pieces to really put them over their top. And I think, obviously, the big addition with Springer, it's nice. It's a nice addition um, to the batting there. Um, I think, the obviously, pitching is going to be key for them. Maybe even making an addition to that pitching staff, I think, would be key for them. But they're a team that I do think is going to be, they could be a surprise team for some people. So I have the Blue Jays at third in the AL East. Now we're at fourth in the AL East. Who do you have there? I have the Blue Jays. I'm just not fully confident in management. I the They're very similar to last year. I, I don't think they made a whole ton of moves. Obviously, losing Blake Snell is big, but they still have the best farm system in the league. Uh, you mentioned some guys, Wander Franco, Randy Rosarena. I think those guys are going to make the roster. For sure, Randy Rosarena. He's not going to be the 
transcendent talent that he was last year in the playoffs, but he's going to be solid. Uh, Pitching-wise, Tyler Glasnow is kind of hit or miss sometimes. He added a uh, slider to his repertoire of pitches, and I think that's going to help him a lot. You bring in Michael Walker. You keep some other guys. I'm interested in Chris Archer because he was in the trade that to Pittsburgh that landed them Tyler Glasnow and just I feel like he's gonna do way better than he should here just as kind of a shove it to the Pirates uh but there are there are questions on how well this offense is gonna produce and I think those are warranted they don't have a lot of big names that are gonna put up big stats so you you really gotta lean into the analytics and trust that that's what you have to do yeah for me i'm in the last spot of our fourth spot excuse me i have the red Sox there and like you said they're just kind of that middle of the pack team i mean they're not gonna be all that great and when i look at this red Sox team i look at previous red Sox teams it always seems like the red Sox they'll win a championship then just kind of like fall off for a few years and all of a sudden they're back and then they'll fall off again. And we're in those years where it's okay. We kind of fallen off and I just don't expect them to be very good this year. Um, they could surprise some people, but I just, I don't really see that happening. And now the last spot in the AL East here, who do you have there? The Orioles and <laughs> the Orioles are bad. Uh, possibly a hundred losses bad. I could see that happening. The big thing, they have a solid farm system. Guy's going to come up and be uh, good players, but that's the future. The biggest thing for me is uh, Trey Mancini coming back this season after colon cancer is just, it makes everyone feel good. And then uh, there was one other player that's eluding my name, so come back to me on that one. Oh, Felix Hernandez. It was Felix Hernandez. I really want to see, after opting out in Atlanta last season, how he comes back because he's just a fun player to watch, and I really want him to do well. Yeah, the Orioles have a lot of great stories, but I I, I mean, you hope their season goes that way, but it just doesn't really look like it's going to head that direction for them. Um, They're kind of like every other team that we've put in the last in the division, just not going to be very good. So that's really it for the Orioles. And we're now going to move into Francisco Lindor. He was offered a contract north of $300 million. And obviously it was offered to him, but he has not accepted it yet. Would you have offered Francisco Lindor this type of deal if you were the Mets? I think you have to. After trading for him in that big trade, you have to. It's just something you have to do. It's going to be how that's dispersed over however many years. And the how many years is a big thing for me because we've seen kind of... It started more often, but it really started with Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, those big 10-year contracts. And you see Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Fernando Tatis Jr., those huge mega contracts 
how like how are those guys going to be at 35 36 so i don't want to fully commit to lindor i'm okay with 8 years which takes him to uh 35 which is relatively up there in terms of uh sports ages which is kind of weird uh but he has a very good skill set he's an all-around player and i think he can transition into age well he can either go to second base or third uh once he loses some of that range but in the here and now you have to pay him he is just too good yeah i'm right there with you you have to do it especially with the trade like you said and also, when you look at this, I'd said when I did the Mets, I'm, they've made some moves that make you proud to be a, Nets, a Mets fan. That's what you are. And when I look at this Mets team, if they were to not give a contract like that to Lindor and let him leave, oh, that fan base would definitely let organizational uh, people know that they made a giant mistake. So I just, you have to. I mean, I don't think the Mets have much of a choice in this matter. And it's more like Lindor is saying, okay, yeah, you have to make this offer, so let's raise it up a little bit. Let's see if we can get this price up even more. That's what I feel like is happening here with Lindor, and it's just the way of the game. I mean, he knows his price, and he knows he could get it somewhere else, and he knows the Mets are desperate to keep him. So he has a lot of leverage in this situation, and I definitely think he will get a big-time deal from the Mets, and it's going to be along the lines that he wants. And now we're going to move into Shohei Itani. He bats and bats for, for the first time and pitches, and he does well. Do you think this is something that can translate into the season for him? Absolutely. I, like I was talking about earlier with the Angels, I think it's because I am trying to will it into existence. Uh, the other day they had him, I think it was against the Padres, they had him batting first in the order and pitching. He uh, struck out uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. as well as going, like, I think it was two for two with a walk. It just, he can do so much. Uh, through spring training, uh, 14 strikeouts in eight innings, as well as uh, his fastball topping out at 102 miles an hour. Then in uh, 23 plate appearances, he's hitting 609 with four home runs so he's not going to keep up that pace but you're going to get incredible production on both sides of the ball yeah I absolutely believe he can translate this into the season and like you said not at that pace but when you see what he's doing he's really starting to get that feeling again he's starting to get it going once again for this Angels team and if you're an Angels fan that's exactly what you want to see you want to see him doing well because now it's kind of that, okay, I'm getting ready just so I'm 100% for the regular season and I'm kind of moved back into game speed a little bit after all the injury he's dealt with. So I do think it can translate into the season and we can see Otani really start to help out the Angels again and be that top-tier player that he was for them. And last question here about Otani, could the Angels try to use him as just a pitcher slash hitter? I think that is, it's a possibility, but it's going to be if he keeps having these injury problems and he he's just struggling 
and they need to change something up, that's probably the first thing they're going to try. But it looks like this year they're going with a six-man rotation. There's been, I think that's been said a couple times. So he's going to have enough rest, and he's going to be able to DH and hit well. It's going to be just, if that does have to happen, which is more valuable to you. And I think, for me personally, it's Otani as a pitcher. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I would much rather him be at his best and pitching for me than at his best as a hitter. Because when you look at this Angels team, I mean, you do have Mike Trout, who's already that elite guy, top of the league player. I'd much rather have a guy, a reliable pitcher like Otani. So that would be the thing that I would want moving forward. And now we're going to move into some NBA talk here. And we talked about the Lakers a few weeks ago, and it was with Anthony Davis. Out with injury, can they stay afloat? Now they're down LeBron James for four to six weeks, plus Anthony Davis is still out for another three to four weeks. Are the Lakers in trouble? I think so. This is where you start hitting the panic button a little bit. Uh, the You have a very good core of role players but this is a star based league you have to have stars to win and we've seen it evolving to you have to have more than one star to win uh, and they don't have either of their stars they're gonna struggle they're, they're still gonna win games but with how ridiculously competitive and good the West is if those guys don't come back in time and your roster isn't performing well, you might miss the playoffs. Yeah, when Anthony Davis went down, they were clearly and by far away the two seed in the Western Conference. Anthony Davis goes out and then the Suns pass them up and they drop to that third spot. And it's like, okay, well, you're fine. You can bounce around the third spot. You'll be okay. But now they're all the way down to the fourth seed in the Western Conference. And they're four games out from being out of the playoffs. Yeah, it's time to worry. I mean, you brought in a lot of depth. I thought when I looked at this Lakers roster this offseason, I thought, okay, yeah, they have a lot of depth here. You look at Mo Harrell. They brought in Dennis Schroeder. You have Kyle Kuzma already. Horton Tucker has played really good. And then Marcus Saul, KCP, they bring him back. You have all this depth on this team. You think, okay. We can be successful and still have our players miss time. No, you really can't. It really goes to show how important Anthony Davis and LeBron James are to this team. They were a clear top of the West, and now they've lost three in a row, and they're 5-5 five and five in the last 10. Not a great spot to be in at all. You're letting teams like the Suns and the Clippers hop you now, and I truly believe by the time LeBron and Anthony Davis are back, they're going to be sitting in that 6th, 7th seed because they're struggling to beat even average teams. Mo Harrell, I mean, yeah, it was nice to take him away from the Clippers and it was a nice signing at the time. It was like, oh, yeah, look at this, 6th man of the year. He's not playing up to his potential. And then Schroeder, I think, has played really well, but they have these guys that they brought in that just are not playing well. And I expect them to be pretty active around this trade deadline because if they don't find someone that can keep them afloat, these next couple weeks while you're missing those guys, they're really going to be in trouble. And that brings me to the next point here. Do you really believe that the Lakers could possibly miss out on the playoffs? I do. 
I I really do. You're it's gonna be close and it depends on the timeline of the season as well as uh injuries when they get Anthony Davis or LeBron back because with just one of their stars, Anthony Davis is projected to be back sooner, but injuries are always weird. So I think if they get Anthony Davis back before, like 10 games to 15 games before the playoffs start and have him be able to integrate back into this team well, they should be able to make the playoffs. It's just your seeding is not going to be good. You might take a 7th or an 8th seed, maybe uh, get in one of those play-in games, but you could miss out on the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a realistic possibility for this Lakers team. And the worst part about it is if you're the Lakers and you do fall down to that 7th seed, I mean, you could end up playing the Clippers, which would be the last thing that you would want. The Clippers... While the Lakers, I do believe, are a better team at full health than the Clippers, the Clippers always seem to have the Lakers' number. So that's a matchup you do not want. You don't really want to play the Jazz. I mean, they're the hottest team in basketball, 31-11. and And then you have the Suns, who are really starting to put together a talented roster, and they're all starting to play well together. Devin Booker and Chris Paul together. I mean, who thought that was fair to put them both in the same backcourt like that? And then you have Aiton, obviously. They have some serious depth there at the Sun. You get into this scary matchup scenario. You went from playing a team like the Warriors, Mavericks, Spurs, to now some of these top teams in the West. That's scary. And that's if you make the playoffs. There's a real possibility they don't. When you talked about Anthony Davis's injury and he's supposed to be back sooner, originally it was, okay, he's going to miss two weeks. And that was, okay, he'll be back at the All-Star after the All-Star break. Now we're two weeks past the All-Star break, and he's still a three- to four-week injury right now. What's going on with his injury? I I think it's worse than they let on, and they just didn't want teams to know it. And now that LeBron has that high ankle sprain, uh, this Lakers team, they're in trouble, man. They really are. It's going to be tough for them. Can they still get in? Uh, Yeah, they'll still get in, but I do think it's going to be a bad seed. I really do. I think they're going to fall down because – The rest of these teams in the West are starting to get really hot right now. And when you look at this Lakers team, now they're dealing with injury and some poor play here. The Heat this year started off very slow, and now they're starting to turn that switch and start getting things going again. The Lakers now were the opposite. They started very hot, and now they're injured and starting to fall off a little bit. Do you think this is a result of playing so far into the year last year and that very little break and having to go again? I think that's definitely a possibility. The lack of off-season to like rest your body and kind of get back to the shape you want to start the year in, not having that could definitely be a factor in this. I think it's also just a just the situations they're in are a product of the league or conference they're in the lakers it's it's a little bleak even though they're at 28 and 16 and it looks like the heat are going to have a pretty solid future at 500 it's just the 
West being strong and the East being very weak. Yeah, and when I look at this as a result of playing so far into the year last year, when I see the trend with the Heat and the Lakers, it makes sense to me that it is. Because with the Heat, they got all the way there and lost. So your immediate tendency is going to be, I'm tired. We look how far we got and it was for nothing. And you're going to start off a little bit slower. You don't have all that motivation to come back out there. And let's try to run this thing right back. Your bodies are fatigued. With the Lakers, their first game, they were getting rings. They're getting championship rings. Imagine the adrenaline running with that team. And it was all going well. I mean, this team was excited to play. It's run it back. We're going to win another championship. We're by far the favorites. Well, now the Heat have finally started to rest up a little bit. Jimmy Butler's injured for quite some time. He's healthy now. And they've rested up, and they're ready to go. This Lakers team, who started out very hot, is now struggling. And they're struggling with injuries. And I know LeBron's injury is not something that is fatigue caused. He got rolled up on, causing the high ankle sprain. But a guy like Anthony Davis and that Achilles injury, the fact that it keeps on not going away is scary. Because when you look at, I know one athlete, Richard Sherman, when he had his Achilles injury, it was an injury they said, you're going to need surgery on it. It's just what's going to happen. You can continue to play if you want, and which he did, but at some point it's going to tear on you. And you're going to have to just, your season's done at that point. And that's what happened. That was his last game with Seattle, is it just gave out on him in the fourth quarter, and that ended his tenure with the Seahawks. Is that what we're seeing here with Anthony Davis? I, I think there's a realistic possibility that it could be. I mean, I'm no doctor, but the fact that they keep on pushing this timetable back, I think they really want him to be fully healthy. They want to see if, okay, let's give this rest, and if we see how long we can rest you. I mean, you will be fine with LeBron James. But now, LeBron out? his timetable just sped up a lot. So I definitely think it's a little bit of a result of that. And this team is now fatigued. They're realizing, wow, I mean, we've played a lot of good basketball continuously that it's starting to get to them. And now we're going to move to the Orlando Magic. Their star player, Aaron Gordon, has requested a trade. And if you're Aaron Gordon, is this the right move for you? I think so. You've been with... Uh, Orlando for a long time you've had some some success in the lower seeds of the playoffs getting to the playoffs but there isn't you haven't made a run and there hasn't been a whole lot of talent put around you and I think that's a in part because the market is smaller and they're not looking to make big splashes so moving on from an older more talented player could definitely be what's best for Aaron Gordon put him on a team that can win yeah I think you're absolutely right he has a ton of potential in my opinion he should be a two-time dunk champion dunk contest champion especially the one against Zach Levine I the fact that you could jump over a mascot, take the ball underneath your legs, and still dunk it. I just don't know how you perform a better dunk than that. But he's a guy that is he's been pretty average scoring-wise. 
and we're, he's not at his best right now, but I also think it's a product of the Magic in general. I mean, they're not a great team. He's 25 years old. Get him somewhere where he can be successful. And when I see Aaron Gordon, I think of the dunk contest. I think of him being the villain in Uncle Drew. If you've never seen that movie, it's a very good movie. That's how I picture Aaron Gordon because I remember him so much from those two moments, but I don't remember him much for his play on the court or the Magic. I think that's mostly to do with the market he's in with the basketball. No one really knows how well the Orlando Magic are doing right now, unless you're a Magic fan. But he's a guy that's averaging about 15 points, six boards, four assists. He's a guy that can go to a team trying to compete, and he could be a very nice role player. I think that's best for him. He's never going to be a number one for a team, but a two or three. I think that'd be a fantastic role for him. And that leads me into my next question here. What teams make sense for him? If you're if you're Aaron Gordon and you're a team trying to add a little depth, where does Aaron Gordon make sense? That's a tough question because the NBA is just really in flux right now. There's teams that are doing poorer than they thought they would uh, with the Celtics and teams doing like overperforming possibly in the Suns. I didn't think anybody, I don't think anybody expected the Suns to be the second seed in the West. Uh, But he, he could definitely make an impact. I like him to the Hawks. I think you can kind of put him in that young core with Trey Young and you're, there, there are two ways that I see this trade going. Either you're putting him with a young star that you're going to put a core around or him going to an established team and looking to win a championship now. So I think it's the Hawks and that going to build a core around him. Yeah, the Hawks are a great team. I mean, they are a young roster that has so much talent on it. I love them as a spot for him. Another spot for me that makes sense is the Golden State Warriors. When I look at that team, they're just outside the playoffs right now at 22 and 22. And I look at their roster and I see Steph Curry, and I see Draymond Green, and after that I see Kelly Oubre, I mean, who's had his struggles, Andrew Wiggins, and he's off and on. You never really know what Andrew Wiggins you're going to get. Then I see James Wiseman. I'm like, probably should have been LaMelo. But anyway, I see this this team. I'm like, they need someone like that to help Steph Curry out. Steph Curry is a phenomenal player, best shooter of all time. But he can't go out there and score 45, 50 points every single night. He can. But as a franchise, you cannot have that. You're not going to win consistently with just Steph Curry like that, especially when teams were able to key in on Steph Curry. Adding Aaron Gordon, I think, adds a little bit more of a pick and roll to you. Now you have a very athletic uh, build to your team, a guy who can soar through the air and throw down these monstrous dunks. It just adds a dimension to the Warriors that I don't think they have right now. And I think him and Steph Curry would be a nice little duo in Golden State and until Clay comes back. I think until Clay comes back, they're going to be an average team. That's why they're 22 and 22. But if you put Gordon with Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman, Wiggins, Green, Curry, and then when Clay comes back, I mean, that's a nice roster you've put together there, and you're ready to compete again. I mean, he's not Kevin Durant, but he's a nice addition to the team. 
We're going to take our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to visit LaMelo Ball and his injury that he had, and also Kyle Lowry before we move into some NBA. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer. We're going to continue our NBA talk we have going. And next topic up is LaMelo Ball. Fractured his wrist, I believe, and he will miss the rest of the season. And he was having a fantastic rookie season before his injury. Was it enough to be Rookie of the Year if he could have completed this season? I think so. He was really efficient from just overall like for a rookie 45% you'd like that in the grand scheme to be higher but it's gonna go up uh 37% from three he can really build on that the size he has as a guard allows him to pull down around six rebounds a game and his playmaking is just next level so it's it's really tough to lose him because he was probably a rookie of the year candidate but I don't think that diminishes what the Hornets are going to do moving forward he's still their guy he's their franchise piece and they're going to build a team around him yeah Jordan made a very good pick with LaMelo there. I know he needed to okay uh, bringing the ball brother there to the Hornets, but I mean, it was a very good pick for them. He's been fantastic. The only person I think close was close to him was Anthony Edwards, and it was a good race between the two for Rookie of the Year. Obviously, now Edwards is going to win it because it's those two, and there's a big drop-off between that rookie play other than those two, but LaMelo had a fantastic rookie season. It's a shame it had to come to an end so early because he's just so much fun to watch. Only 19 years old, and you see him doing things. The IQ on the court is just off the charts. You see him, his playmaking, like he's been in the league for four to five years. So he's definitely ahead of the curve. It reminds me nothing of his brother when he came into the league, in my opinion. His brother seemed, as soon as he hit the court, like he was going to be a developmental project and never panned out, and I still don't think he's panning out all that much now. So I do think he was the rookie of the year. It was close, but now it's Anthony Edwards because of the injury. And one point here, the Warriors passed on him and took James Wiseman with that second overall pick. Do the Warriors regret their choice? I think it's a little too early to talk uh, draft uh, like results and fully grading them but right now probably James Wiseman has been solid and I think he's going to be a good player going forward and he's going to work well uh in that organization but he's he's going to develop a little more he he still needs to develop more and but LaMelo just comes straight in and really goes all out. I think he would have been a decent player on uh, the Warriors, but he wouldn't have had necessarily the guys around him. He's very pass-first, and the Warriors don't have a whole lot of offense besides Steph Curry. Yeah, for me, 
I personally believe they do regret it a little bit because I do think at the time I thought LaMelo was the better choice. I, I know when we did our mock draft, I had LaMelo going one because that's why I expected. I thought he was the best player in the draft. Him and Edwards have had a good run at But Wiseman, that second pick, I mean, no one really talks about him. And it reminds me a lot of the 2003 draft. You had LeBron, Wade, Bosch. Then you had that guy in between those four, and it's like no one remembers him. So for me, I think Wiseman could end up being like that. You have this top three like they have, and you don't really remember him. I give credit to the Warriors because I see what they were trying to do here. They were trying to add an elite center to what they had shooting-wise already, which is a... I mean, I get it. I get why you're trying to do that. But your elite center you're trying to add with the second overall pick averages 5.9 rebounds a game. LaMelo Ball averages 5.9 rebounds a game. He just does it all. He's fantastic in every facet of the game. James Wiseman needs more time to develop, like you said. And he could get better. But I'm just not sold on him ever really passing up LaMelo in terms of play-wise on the court. And... I get it, adding the elite center is what you were trying to do, but if I'm the Warriors, why stray away from what got you there to all the success, load your team up with shooters, and just hit them with a three-point barrage? I mean, that's what got them multiple finals championships. That's what I would have stuck with, but I'm not Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors. I get what they were trying to do, however. And now this debate's going to rage on until Lonzo and LaMelo call it a career do you believe LaMelo's already better than his brother Lonzo? That's that's tough because they're just at different points in their career. But right now, if I was like an, an expansion team, I would take LaMelo over Lonzo. I think he brings a aspect of like the type of player he is is more valuable than Lonzo, just the playmaking and the IQ on the floor is outstandingly high. And you don't see that as much with Lonzo. He's taken off this year, like kind of quietly under the radar, having a solid role player season. But Lamelo is just a rookie. If he's gonna, I think he's gonna get a lot better from here. Yeah, for me, I'm also, I think LaMelo's already better. And when I look at the Lonzo pick, Lonzo was very hyped up. Obviously, he had his dad, LeVar, talking a lot of smack for him. And I saw today on first take, Magic Johnson and Stephen A were arguing over Lonzo and the pick at two. Would you still have taken him there? And Magic Johnson said, yeah, he would. He said because his IQ is so high. And we haven't seen the best Lonzo. He's still finding his stride. And I think we haven't seen the best Lonzo. I agree. But I don't think the best Lonzo's ever going to live up to that number two overall pick. We've already seen him bounced around from the Lakers to the Pelicans. And now in trade rumors once again at the deadline to get moved. I just don't, I just don't really believe we've seen the best Lonzo. But I don't think it's going to be all that great. LaMelo has already showed us what he can do. That he's phenomenal. He has it all. He's what everyone thought Lonzo was going to be coming into the league. And I think the biggest difference is the personalities of the two. When you look at Lonzo, he's more of a passive guy. He's not really a guy that's going to be all that aggressive, driving to the hoop, things like that. And he doesn't have the best shot on him. 
his his best shot is driving to the hoop, obviously, but he's not all that aggressive with that move. And when I look at him, obviously, I think the media, so young, got to him. But his brother, LaMelo, I think feeds off that. I mean, how many times in high school was he on YouTube? It was a uh, video of him. The other team was a smack talking him, and he pulls up from the logo and just drills it right in their face, and he's smacking the floor on defense. He just has the personality to back up all this trash talk that his dad talked. And I think going overseas to play and then coming back also helped him. He was going up against some really good competition because when he was first there, he struggled. He figured it out, and now he's in the NBA being successful. I don't think it's all that much of a shock. It's not a surprise. Like This was supposed to happen. And now, last topic of the NBA for the night is Kyle Lowry. He's receiving a lot of interest at the trade deadline for multiple teams, and he has given a list of teams to Nick Nurse and the organization saying where he would like to go. Rumors are that the Heat had the most interest and that they're on his list of teams that he wouldn't mind going to. So looking at Kyle Lowry to the Heat here, would this move make sense? In terms of adding a player, absolutely. You want to put a player, more of an established star player, next to Jimmy Butler. And I think adding Kyle Lowry is a great move. It would he is at the end of his contract he'll be a free agent next year but adding that amount of talent to the heat who are getting a little hotter now is would be just fantastic another name i've heard thrown around is the lakers which are which is very interesting i'm not exactly sure what the compensation for lowry is though are they wanting picks? Are they wanting players? That is the biggest question. Yeah, and for me, when I look at the Lakers as a team interested in Lowry, I think um, I'm good because when I look at this Lakers team, they need another scorer. And Lowry, he can provide some uh, scoring for them, and he'd be a good third option scoring-wise. But the move for the Lakers that really interests me the most, and they are rumored to be interested in if a buyout happens, is Andre Drummond. Putting Drummond and Anthony Davis down low, LeBron, then you let Dennis Schroeder play the point. That it's, that's a very good lineup you have going on. Then you have Harrell coming off the bench. I mean, uh, yeah, Mo Harrell coming off the bench. And I just talked about Mo Harrell not living up to that contract, not being that great. I think he could be a guy that could be moved at the deadline for the right price. Um, I know they obviously want to keep the team together and try to win a championship, but I mean those guys aren't performing. So at some point you're going to have to do something. And when you look at this trade, possibly getting Kyle Lowry to the Heat, let's say, do you think that move would get them into that top three of the East? Right now it's the Sixers, Nets, and Bucks. Do you think Kyle Lowry addition vaults them into that top three? I think it. Right now, as it stands, the Eastern Conference is top teams and then everybody else. So it's, like you said, that those top three teams, the 76ers, the Nets, and the Bucks. I think that would elevate the Heat to a similar caliber, but I'm not sure if I would take the Heat above any of those other three teams. 
No, I I definitely wouldn't either. And when I look at this Heat team, they're interesting because I said it back then. I thought the Heat were a little fluky getting to that championship. And when they didn't win, it was like, okay. I'm not all that surprised to see them sitting at 22 and 22 right now because I think that's about where they're at. Tyler Harrow was playing phenomenal. He looked so good. Was that going to continue? I don't know. It's proven not to. Duncan Robinson was playing out of his mind. Best basketball in his career. Is he going to keep that up? No, and he hasn't. That Heat team was, they were all overperforming by a lot. And now they're just not. And that's the biggest thing. I think Jimmy Butler can get them into the playoffs, get them even the top five seed, without a doubt. But I just don't really believe that they're going to make all that much noise, even if they do add Kyle Lowry. He's not an elite scorer, which I'd like to see with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler with an elite scorer would be very dangerous. He just doesn't have that. So for me, I don't really think it bolts them into that top three whatsoever, especially with the Sixers being phenomenal, the Nets having arguably the best team in the league, and then the Bucks having arguably the top, a top two player in the NBA. I just don't think it moves them up into that. Now for the last 10 minutes here, we're going to get into some NFL, some free agency and we're going to talk first Juju Smith-Schuster. He signs back with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He had a $13 million contract offer from the Baltimore Ravens. A one-year $13 million. He had a one-year $11 million contract offer from the Chiefs. But instead, he settles on a one-year $8 million deal with the Steelers. He took less money to come back to Pittsburgh. You think that's a smart move? I don't. I don't like that move at all. I've never been a huge like I like the Pittsburgh of old but right now I'm not a big fan they're living in kind of a dreamland Big Ben is not an NFL caliber quarterback anymore he just is not and I'm on board with Juju getting a one-year deal and then going back to free agency the Cap constriction this year has messed up free agency for pretty much almost every wide receiver, as well as just most players. So I get him taking a one-year deal, but you're going to Pittsburgh where you were you were okay. You weren't really like the consensus number one. I think some people think he's a little worse than he was in this previous season because of kind of how big he talked, but you're going to go there, be kind of the number three, and have an aging Ben Roethlisberger with no rushing attack. I would rather take, one, the money of the Ravens, and you're going to be the number one wide receiver, and you're going to have great stats to get paid the next year for your long-term contract. Yeah, 100% with you. I, I don't think that's a smart move whatsoever, you're, going, you're trying to go somewhere where you can make money. Yes, I get it. You go to Pittsburgh, and you know the system. That's the one thing you have going for you. You know the system. But on this team last year, you were the number three. You were the number three receiver. Dante Johnson and all, Deontay Johnson, excuse me. Then also Chase Claypool were ahead of you, in my opinion. They were the two go-to guys, especially Deontay Johnson. He was Big Ben's go-to guy. So you were the number three receiver. And then you look at it, ever since Antonio Brown left, you've not been the same player. 
So why stick around in Pittsburgh, where I also, it's a limited offense in general. Play calling, quarterback play, running back, limited offense in general. Baltimore makes a ton of sense. That move, you make more money, you're a true number one. They are in such a need for a wide receiver, it's not even funny. You're a true number one. But for me, I'm going to Kansas City for one year, 11 million. What is the goal of this one year deal? To play really well and cash in? If I'm going to be a number three somewhere, a number three receiving target, I'm not going to Pittsburgh. I'm going to Kansas City where I'm going to replace Sammy Watkins. I'll be behind Hill and Kelsey, so they're not going to be able to double team me. And I'm going to be able to just attack out of the slot like I did at USC, like I did in Pittsburgh. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to Kansas City. I'm playing with Patrick Mahomes. And I'm going to make a lot of money next year when I hit free agency. And, I mean, you put him in this offense, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey are all going to be uh, normally 10 touchdown guys with over 1,000 yards. Juju, at minimum, is 800, 850 yards and five, six touchdowns in this in a Chiefs offense. Absolutely is. So I definitely, that's where I would have, I would have took the money, went to Kansas City, and had a huge payday the year after. I think in the long run, this move's actually going to hurt Juju and how much money he makes in the future. And he was not the only receiver to get a massive deal. Well, not a massive deal. He declined his. But a massive deal was given out to Kenny Galladay, Detroit Lions wide receiver. He signed a big extension with the Giants. And this deal puts him into the top four highest paid, top five, I believe, highest paid wide receivers in the NFL. Did the Giants need him bad enough to make him a top five highest paid receiver in the NFL? I don't think so. Like, they needed a wide receiver. That's for sure. Adding someone next to Sterling Shepard, well, really above Sterling Shepard, is going to help for either Daniel Jones or if you go a different direction at quarterback. But that's just a lot of money for... A player who's talented, don't get me wrong, but that's a big commitment. And I think they overpaid a little bit. So I'm not I'm not a huge fan. I think they overreached, especially in the current market, with how cheap guys have been going. So it's a lot of cap that you kind of walled yourself off from, but you do have a decent amount of caps, so there are good things about it and bad things about it, but overall, I think it's a little bit of a negative. Yeah, I'm just a little confused by it. Um, when Gettleman came in, what was the first thing he did? He gave a big-time extension to a wide receiver named Odell Beckham Jr. that gave him this type of money. Go out and draft Saquon Barkley, and then you go on to trade Odell Beckham Jr. away and bring in, you draft Daniel Jones, not with the pick that you gained from the Browns. You just drafted Daniel Jones with your, I believe his fourth overall, fifth overall. He was up towards the top, maybe even three. That's what you do with that pick there. I just don't understand the move. If you're going to pay a lot of money for a wide receiver, why not have a guy of Odell Beckham Jr.'s caliber? When you look at his first three years in the league, 1,300 yards, 1,400 and a half yards, and then also another 1,300-yard season before he gets hurt. Then he comes back after his injury in 18. This is his one year with Gettleman as the GM. He has 
a thousand yards, a thousand and fifty-two yards. Kenny Galladay's best season is roughly a hundred yards more than that, than what he had. And this year, Galladay only had 338. I know he dealt with injury, but only 338 yards this year, and his best season is only 100 more. Nodell, and not to mention Odell Beckham Jr. in the right place is he's just one of the most dynamic receivers in the NFL. He was in New York, one of the most dynamic receivers in the NFL. I just don't understand why you would make a move like that to pay Galladay 18 million, who really hasn't proven it like Odell did, and get rid of Odell at the quickest point. That's the biggest shocker to me. But I guess I get it because the NFC East is so weak. So it puts you near the top. I mean, it helps you. I think roster-wise, the Giants and Cowboys have the best two rosters on paper after their free agency spree that they've had. But now, do you think they can realistically compete within the NFC East with these moves that they've made? You know, I'm... I think they were going to compete anyway. They were in the hunt last year uh, just because of how bad that team was or bad that whole division was. I think it's going to be a little better this year, but you get another year of Daniel Jones into the system as well as you're getting Saquon Barkley back. He might not be exactly the same as he was an ACL tear tear ooh, is is a big thing for a running back but we've seen players bounce back namely Adrian Peterson so I think they're going to be better but still around 500 yeah this Giants team on paper they got a lot better I mean I, the NFC is just so hard to judge how they're going to do because you know it's going to be bad but I mean it's just a question of how bad I think the Eagles by far the worst team in the division. Um, I like, I like what the football team did though. I I think the football team takes this division again. That defense is stacked. And then also you look on the offense now. I mean, you bring in Curtis Samuel. You have uh, Terry McLaurin already there. Logan Thomas at tight end. And now you have Ryan Fitzmagic. I can't even say Fitzpatrick. I always call him Fitzmagic at quarterback. It's you're instantly set up, in my opinion, to be the best team. I think the Cowboys can give them a run for their money, but I'm just not sold on the Cowboys. I mean, that defense is so bad. Um, Dak is really good. He's top ten. I'd say closer to ten, but a top ten quarterback there. I just the defense is too bad. I think the football team's the most balanced team. And on paper, I think the Giants are right there with them. I just don't truly know what Daniel Jones you're gonna get. And the front office there has confused me so much. There's rumors they're not going to pick up Saquon's fifth-year option. And it's like, you use the number two pick on him. You Now you might not pick that up. And you sent Odell Beckham Jr. out the door. I mean, realistically, what type of team building is that? I mean, I just don't know. The Giants have a lot too many question marks for me to say. I think they can be competitive, but to win at, I just don't think so. Not yet. And that concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, on Instagram or Twitter, give us a follow at KLA underscore UC. And if you're on Facebook, give us a like at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Thank you for listening and good night. See ya.